Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you with us as we continue our series, Dinner with Jesus. Today, we look at what some would have called a very gross meal, disturbing not because of the food being served, but more about who Jesus was having dinner with. This is a dinner with Levi the tax collector, or as he's more commonly known, Matthew. And not only was there Matthew, there were other people who were considered vile. Listen as lead pastor David Fossil through the story of this meal shows us God's love and concern for people. And we find that what Matthew was doing was inviting his friends into his home to introduce them to his new life. Go ahead and grab the study guide that's in your program. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Luke 5, if you're using one of the church Bibles, we're going to be on page 1032 page 1032. If you're just joining us, we're in the middle of this series. We're having a little bit of fun. We're looking at different stories where Jesus is eating and he's having a meal. And the basic idea and thesis is that when Jesus is eating, it's not just because he's hungry. There's a life application or a principle that he's trying to teach and that we can we can gather some insights from it. So so that's what we're doing today. We're going to look at a story in Luke chapter five where, again, there's a lot of eating. Uh, but to start and because we're talking about food, uh, what I'm going to do is I, I'm at about a, a 90 seconds to about 120 seconds that you're not going to like, but just stay with me. Okay. Uh, it's going to kind of gross you out. What I did is we Googled, Sandy and I, we Googled gross foods that people eat around the world. And I'm, I'll tell you why. Okay. But I'm setting you up for something. Okay. So just stay with me. Now, by the way, they're gross to you, but someone's eating them because they think they're pretty good. Right. So let me let me give you a couple of these gross foods around the world that people actually eat. Let's put the first one up there. Cockroach soup. I kid you not. If we've ever gone to a restaurant where there's a cockroach in the back, you know, with a, by the bathrooms or some, we leave. Right. Apparently some. And look at how nice they're arranged too. the food presentation is very nice. OK, let's put the next one up there. Bat paste or bat soup. So they literally boil a bat, okay, and then when it gets to a certain consistency, they, you know, they're done, and, and they, they eat it just like they eat crab. They just crack it off like a crab leg and, and suck it out, right? So yum, yum. Um, let's put the next one up there. I like this next one. Deep fried rat. You see the rat in like, oh, they got me, you know? Now, in all fairness, I've heard that if you put a little sriracha on that, it's delicious. So that's what I've heard. Let's put the next one up there. Fried chicken feet. Now you're at, no, 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 no. You're not allowed to go ooh because if you've had chicken nuggets, you've pretty much had fried chicken feet. That's the truth, right? Let's put the next one up there. Hasma. Does anyone know what hasma is? I actually wrote this down because I hasma. No one knows what hasma is. Let me read this to you. This is a dessert, a sugary dessert served in China. Okay, this dish. Is, <laughs> this dish is dehydrated fallopian tubes of frogs. Now, when I heard that, my first thought was, who was the first guy that thought to themselves, you know what sounds tasty? That's, that's what I wonder. But anyway, Hazma. Okay, let's put the next one up there. But you three find a new church. I don't want... That is disgusting. It's all the Filipinos here. They like this. Oh, we like the Filipinos. Okay, you know what? You want to know what that is? My son ate this in the Philippines. I didn't kiss him for a year. This is, 
This is what bala is. It's a delicacy in many Asian countries, typically served with beer. That's because they're trying to disinfect their mouths. This is a developed duck embryo boiled and eaten in its egg. Okay, let's move on real quick. That grossed me out. Kasu marzu. Does anyone know what that is? That is a cheese, okay, uh, made in Sicily. And now let me tell you about this cheese, okay? It is also known as maggot cheese. Now let me tell you why. It's literally early in the process of creating this cheese from goat's milk. The larvae of flies are introduced into the process. This larvae eventually develops into maggots. When the time comes for human consumption, many people meticulously remove the maggots. However, some leave them in believing they add an extra flavorful punch. Okay, let's get rid of that. Why did I do that? Why did I share these six or seven foods that kind of gross us out? I'm going to tell you why. You know how you're feeling right now in your stomach? You know how you're feeling right now in your palate? Like, I don't want to eat for a while. What's going on through your mind? All those emotions... That yuck, gross feeling or thinking that you're having, that's exactly how you should feel about the main character in our story today. The minute he is introduced in the story, and the minute you hear what he does for a profession, you should feel like gagging. Your first instinct should be, that's gross. That's gross. Now, if you don't feel that way, I promise you that the audience uh, around Jesus and his team, his disciples, felt that way. They were grossed out by this individual. And I'm going to explain to you why and why it makes such a big difference to us. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. Here's what we read. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. We want to welcome you here this afternoon to the Franchise Tax Board here of Galilee. We want to welcome all of you who will be bidding on the franchise for this neighborhood in Galilee. As you all know, the requirement for this region will be $125,000 per year. $125,000 that you will deliver on a quarterly basis to the Roman government. As you know, if you own the franchise for this region of Galilee, you will have the power of the Roman government behind you. You will have tactical support. You will have law enforcement support. Any employer, a business owner, individual who does not want to pay their taxes, you can immediately call upon our Roman soldiers who will either arrest or beat up this particular business owner or individual. You should have absolutely no problem raising $125,000 in tax revenue. Anything above $125,000 will be yours to keep. So we will begin the process right now of the auction, and the auction will start at $15,000. And $15,000 in the back, thank you, man. Anyone 16, 16,000 over here? Say thank you, 17,000 right over here. 18, $18,000 over here, 18,500. I see that hand. $20,000 in the back. $21,000. Very good. Thank you, sir. 21. Anyone 22? Anyone 22? In the back, 22,000 going once. Okay, when you have a mic, that can be your show. But now it's my show, sir. We see $23,000 in the back. Going once, going twice. Shut up, Goodman. Sold! What's your name, sir? Levi? Levi. Levi is the new tax collector in the region of Galilee. 
You see, that's how they used to do it back in those days. If you were a tax collector, you didn't work for the Internal Revenue Service, a government branch in Judea or in the Roman government. No, you were you were an independent contractor, a Jewish man normally working for the foreign hated Romans that had invaded and conquered their land. That's how it worked. They gave you a certain number. For the sake of this illustration, $125,000 is what I suggested. And what they did is they could collect money from you and from me and from businesses, raising taxes that they would then deliver to the Romans. Anything over $125,000 was theirs. They were extremely powerful because they had the might of the Romans behind them. They could have individuals arrested. They could have individuals beaten up. They could have even individuals killed if they didn't pay their taxes. Of course, because they had so much power, they also were very corrupt. They were very corrupt. As soon as Levi or any other individual won a franchise for a particular neighborhood or a particular region, immediately they would be rejected socially by everyone that they used to spend time with. Immediately, by law, they were no longer even allowed to step foot in the synagogue. Many times, history books tell us that these tax collectors were disowned by their family members. Because they were working for the enemy. They, they were the kind of individuals, that, they're not getting invited for the 4th of July barbecue. They're not getting invited for Thanksgiving. They're not getting invited uh, for, for the Christmas party. And, you know, by the way, um, I'm, 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 you're not going to be my friend on Facebook anymore. And just don't send me a, a, a birthday card because I, I just don't want anything to do with you. It, it's like if I were to tell you that an individual was was not only a, a, a pimp, a drug dealer, a member of ISIS and Al-Qaeda. Well, they're the enemy. I don't care if you were born here. You're the enemy, right? See, what you need to understand about Levi as he's introduced to us in Luke chapter 5 is with one phrase, Levi the tax collector, he's identified as one of the most vile individuals in society. How you felt about the food is how everyone felt about Levi. They gagged and were grossed out by him. Which makes the rest of the story so surprising. Here's what we read in verse 28 and to the end. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet. Everything in blue is our food. This is a story and why there's the food, right? He held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. A large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This isn't in your notes, but to give you a full picture of, of Levi, there's three things I, I want you to know about Levi. First of all, is that Levi is automatically shunned because of his relationship with the Romans. Um, you want a, a, an extra little juicy detail about the story? There's one person, thank you, that wants a juicy detail. <laughs> anyone else? Brigitte. That's because she works with me. That's the, does anyone want a juicy detail? Thank you. Make me feel like I'm up here doing something of value. Okay. You want an interesting detail? The beginning, the beginning of Luke chapter 5, the beginning of Luke chapter 5 is the story of how he begins to recruit his disciples. So the beginning is Peter being recruited. Peter was a fisherman. Okay. Take a wild guess what Bible students say was Peter's tax collector. 
It was Levi. Same region, same neighborhood. Can you imagine how that introduction went? Peter's doing something. Jesus is like, hey, Pete, I want to introduce you to the, one of the new guys on the team. Yeah, I'll be right there. I'll be, uh, no, come over. I want you to meet him. Okay, I'm coming. I'm coming. Oh, you've got to be kidding. You, th- do you know who this joker is? Jesus, you can't have him on the team. He's a tax collector. Don't make me room with him then. He was probably this guy's tax collector. Shunned by not only everyone else and his family members, but probably not a popular choice to be part of the team, right? He's materialistic because of his career choice. See, there's, there's no other conclusion. Why else would you give up your family, give up your friends, give up your reputation, give up your faith in order to have cash? You see, that's the ultimate definition of materialism. When you give up things that are of higher value and priority because you want to get ahead in life. Levi was at the core before he came to Jesus, incredibly materialistic. He's also uh, unhealthy, unhealthy in his heart condition. I'm not talking physically, but the whole point of the story is that spiritually speaking, here's a man um, who, who, who didn't who wasn't right with God. Now, in the midst of all this, what Luke chapter five, verse 27 says is that when Jesus went out and he's going on this ministry assignment, it says that he saw Levi, the tax collector. He saw him. Now, I see all of you. You see how I'm doing that? I'm seeing all of you real quick. You see how I see you guys? But but instinctively, we know I'm I'm glancing at you. But this Greek word in verse 27, the, 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 the verb to see in verse 27 literally means a prolonged look, almost to the point of staring. So Jesus is being followed. And, and as, is, as you even see in movies, he's teaching even as he's talking and people are, and he stops and he looks and he sees Levi and he stares at him. Now, because he is who he is, he probably knows all of this and more about Levi. But what I want to point out to you is there, there's some life lessons and some principles that we can gather based upon Jesus' immediate interaction with Levi. And, and here's what I want to point out to you. If you're jotting things down, here, here's what I want you to write down. First of all, God cares of you, uh, for you regardless of your past. God cares for you regardless of your past. Um, John Newton, he's the guy who wrote the, probably the most popular hymn of all time, Amazing Grace, was a slave trader and owner. Before he came to Jesus, Charles Tex Watson was a former member of the Manson family involved in drugs and murder before he came to Jesus and his life was transformed. Nikki Cruz was a gang leader in New York whose life was miraculously transformed by Christ. Michael Franzese, many of you have met him as a former mafioso in New York whose life was changed and transformed when he came to Jesus. This one, this one is surprising. Jeffrey Dahmer. One of the worst serial killers of all time who was involved in eating his victims was claimed in prison to come to Jesus before he was murdered. And Levi, a tax collector considered to be of the most vile individuals in society before he was changed and transformed before he came to Jesus. See, one of the things that we tend to do with ourselves is we beat ourselves up because of all the crap and garbage we have up in our past, right? You know what? God cares for you and he loves you regardless of your past. 
In fact, I think one of the mistakes we make in church is we try and sanitize our past. We try and kind of, we don't want anybody to know. There's a part, now I'm not suggesting you put it on Facebook. But I am suggesting that every once in a while, you open up to people and you say, you, you want to know a little bit about my past? Let me tell you about who I was and what I did. But I've been changed and I've been transformed and I've been redeemed by the power of Jesus Christ. Because I've got to tell you, that's motivating to see that people went from here to here. And that's what happened to Levi. And that's what happened to many of us. God cares for you and loves you regardless of what you have in your past. Okay? Well, God wants you on his team in spite of your present. You know, um, as you know, I'm a big Warriors fan. And back in, right after the All-Star break in February, I, saw, I sent the Warriors uh, uh, an email um, uh, suggesting um, and that I be part of their, of their organization. Not as a chaplain, because that would make sense, I guess, if they don't have one. I'm sure they do. Not in their front office. I wanted to be on the team. You know, that wasn't meant to be funny. That's very hurtful. <laughs> and uh, they emailed me back and they told me, uh, I know this is going to surprise you, but they did. They did decline my invitation. <laughs> right. And they told me why they told me because I was I'm 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 slow and I'm old and I'm white man can't jump. I can hardly barely <laughs> touch the rim. Right. I told them I shoot free throws better than Bogut. And they said, we don't care. Right. <laughs> You're out. Right. You know why? I didn't do that, but I can't get on the team. You know why? I'm unqualified. Have you ever thought about this? Christianity is the only team that you have to be unqualified to get on. The minute you think you're qualified, the minute you think you're all that, he don't want you on the team. It's the minute you go, I can't jump. I can't run. I'm not very godly. I don't know a ton of Bible verses. He's like, you're in. You've got to be unqualified to get in. And some of us are trying to build a resume to impress Jesus. And I, I don't understand why. No, he says, you're not qualified to get in. The minute you, in, you accept that, I, I want you on the team. And now we'll start working on developing you and changing you and transforming you. He cares about me and about you regardless of our past. Wants us on his team in spite of our present. I love this part. He sees the best in us. But when it comes to our future, he did with Levi, right? When he, he didn't see a tax collector, you know what he saw? He saw he saw the first gospel writer. He's also known as Matthew. He saw a great leader of the early church. When a carpenter looks at a forest, he doesn't see branches and trees and wood. You know what he sees? He sees dining room tables. And he sees cabinets. And he sees framing for a house. They see potential and God sees potential in you. He sees potential in you. What and how Jesus responded to Levi is the same way he responds to you. Let's keep reading. In verses 28, it's interesting that we see Jesus said, follow me. Jesus said to Levi and Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Now, just a couple things that I want to point out to you um, by way of implication, but they're pretty obvious. N notice how short. Jesus' message to Levi is two words. There's not a sermon. There's not an introduction. He's not coming up to him and go, hi, I'm uh, Jesus Christ, carpenter from Nazareth, Messiah, Savior of the world. How are you? Doesn't do that. The implication is that Levi knows who he is. 
We don't know how, but he knows who he is. I, I don't know if he snuck in and heard one of his sermons. I don't know if he's got a he's got a friend. Maybe he had a friend, another tax collector, you know, called Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus told them all about Jesus. I don't know. But it's very obvious that Matthew knows who Jesus is. And he knows his methods and he knows his mission and he knows his ministry. It's also pretty obvious that Matthew is convicted about who he is. He's been thinking about his soul. He's been thinking about his purpose in life. He's been thinking about the direction he's heading in. Jesus doesn't need a three-point sermon. Jesus doesn't need to share any Bible verses with him. All Jesus has to do is, you, follow me. Follow me. You know, some of you are in that boat. You have felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You may not have all the answers uh, that you that you would like for this book but you know enough about jesus and he says to you this morning follow me follow me you know one of the other things that i find fascinating about this story is when you read it correctly jesus issues him the challenge follow me and levi got up left everything followed him so it's literally he shut the books he, he closed the storefront down He's like, I'm done. Now, why that is so impressive, we just talked about Peter. So let's compare it to Peter. Peter's job was a fisherman, and he worked for the family business. His, his dad owned the business. That's what we, we know. If, if six months into this gig called being a disciple of Jesus, six months into it, uh, they decide, you know what? This Jesus guy is whacked out. I don't know what he's saying but he, he's on something, you know, see you, Jesus, I'm done. If Peter does that and he goes back to Galilee, do you think maybe his dad's going to try and get him his job, old job back? He's probably going to try, right? It might take him a little while if they hired someone else, but he's going to try. He's got a job when he comes back. Does Levi have a job if six months later he decides to come back? No way, not a chance. It's over. It's over. And that's impressive to me here. If you're jotting things down, here's what I want you to write down. We we can't follow Jesus without leaving something behind. Levi left his business behind. You cannot follow Jesus without leaving something behind. I read this great story. It was this family who rented one of these big motorhome trailers. I mean, it was like the biggest one they could get. And they had like 15 family members in it and this caravan and, you know, the, fa- the, the family was in it. And they had a couple older, older sons and one of them was marrying a couple kids. They had, a, you know, 12, 14, 15 people in it. Right. And uh, they were going visiting national parks or something like that. And um, of course, when you have one of those things and you could sleep in it while you're driving, they were driving through the night. And at one point in time, they stopped at a, at a truck stop gas station to fill up. And, uh, you know, they all, you know, you know how it is when you stop at, uh, you know, someone's gassing up and someone's running to the bathroom and someone's running in to get a Slurpee and some candy. And, you know, everybody was doing that. And, you know, all 15 of them got back into the trailer, this big camper thing, motorhome, and off they took. One small problem. They forgot dad. They'd been rotating drivers. You know, sometimes dads drive, sometimes mom drives, sometimes the adult sons drive. And it wasn't dad's time to drive. And so when they all piled back in, They just thought dad was in the back resting or sleeping and they literally forgot him. So dad came out of the bathroom. He's like, what the heck is going on here? He, he, he went, he tried to call people because it was night. It went right to, to, to voicemail. Okay. People didn't answer the phone. The the family drove uh, two hours, 120 miles 
finally, he was able to get onto a computer, went onto social media and posted on Facebook. And this was his post. You guys left me behind at the gas station, exclamation point. Finally, someone was like, hey, dad just posted something that's really weird. Dad, what's and they drove back and get to get him. Right. But let me just again point out to you what's on the screen. You have to leave something behind if you really are going to follow Jesus. Uh, it may be people like the story I just told you. Friends, it, it, it certainly will be words that you used to say that you should leave behind and you should not be saying them anymore. It, it, it's going to be attitudes that you've had towards other people that you need to leave behind. It's certain actions that you, you've done that you need to leave behind. It's certain ways of thinking that you need to leave behind. It's certain ways of spending your money that you're going to leave to behind. It's certain ways of partying that you need to leave behind. It's certain ways of drinking that you need to leave behind. You cannot, you cannot follow Jesus without leaving some things behind. Just like Levi did. In his case, he left his entire business behind. For each of us, it's going to be a little bit different. But if you're doing all the same things and saying all the same things you are today as prior to Jesus, I hate to break it to you. You're not following Jesus as closely as you think you are. There's some things you need to leave behind. In verse 29, we read this. Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. I want you to notice that this party, it's not a moving sale. Levi isn't having everybody over and go, yeah, no, I got this job. I'm going to be traveling. I'm selling the sectional uh, um, sofas. You know, I bought them last year for a couple grand. I, 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 how about give me 1200 the flat screen TV I'm selling. Uh, I'm going to keep, you know, fridge. You guys can have the fridge if you want that sucker. Uh, you know, the, I got a nice bed mission style upstairs. You guys, it's not, he's not selling his stuff. It's not a goodbye party. Oh, I'm going to miss you. Let's, let's hang out for a little bit. It's not for Levi. Read it carefully. It's a banquet for Jesus. It's to celebrate Jesus and what Jesus has done in his life. It's interesting. Um, there is an evangelism strategy, witness and strategy based upon this story. If you Google Levi party, well, actually, that's what it used to be able to, to do. Now, if you Google Le- Levi party, it'll send you to Levi Stadium where the Niners play. So you have to put in Matthew party, how to have a Matthew party. And it will give you a plan of literally how to have a party with the intent of trying to strategically introduce your friends to Jesus. It's a fascinating style. And basically, you invite 20 friends and you, you, you literally party. You have a good time. And then you strategically invite two or three of the people around you to try and rub shoulders with people who don't know Christ. Now, the, they're not showing up with tracks or Bibles. and No, they're just talking. And it's fascinating how they do it. Now, uh, uh, I'm going to let you do that on your own if you want. But one thing I want you to notice, not, not only the purpose for the party, but I want you to notice... The people at the party. One, notice that it's a large crowd. And notice it's not a barbecue, it's a banquet. They're not serving hot dogs, they're serving, they're, they're serving tri-tip. That's what the word banquet means. It's not, it's not just, you know, Little Caesar's pizza just to get people by. They're spending some cash. And it's a large party. And it's identified as the people that go, tax collectors. Now you see, that makes sense to me. 
You know, because tax collectors should know other tax collectors. Dentists know other dentists. Pastors know other pastors. Plumbers tend to know other plumbers. They probably, he probably met other tax collectors when they would go to their tax collecting seminars twice a year, right? They would probably bump into the tax collectors when they would take their quarterly taxes to the government agency to pay the Romans, you know, a quarter of what they owe them. You know, other tax collectors. It's this other thing that's interesting. A large crowd, the party crowd, came to the tax collectors and others, quote unquote, were eating there. Now, later on in the story, others are described by the Pharisees as sinners. But that word sinner is a particular word. Frankly, we're all sinners, right? We got that. We're all sinners. But this word is a particular word that describes a particular group of people. I wrote down the kind of people that would be described as the other crowd. You ready? Here it goes. People that are prostitutes, drug users, heavy drinkers, and folks with criminal records. It's that crowd. Now, the cynic in me is going to say, well, it's because that was his only options. I mean, we already know that once you're a tax collector, all your normal friends, all your high school friends, all your neighborhood friends, all your Facebook friends drop you. That's that's the whole point of being a tax collector. So this is the, all the riffraff is all he had left. The cynic in me would say that. But the Bible student in me sees something very, very different. You see, here's a guy whose entire life was consumed with his job and about making profit. But he meets Jesus and now his life is consumed not with his job, but with people meeting Jesus. And he, he starts, th- what can I do? Well, Jesus already told me that tomorrow he's heading out to another town to do some preaching. I know what I'll do. I'll bring as many of my friends as I know. I'll get the best food that I can buy. And I'll let them rub shoulders with Jesus. How much do you think that cost? You think it cost him a, a decent amount? Well, any, any amount of food, any amount of drink, eh, you know, whatever. He had paper plates, you know. It's costing him some money. This guy's like, I'm going to do... Whatever I got to do. You see, here's one of the things you want to write down. When you truly understand salvation and condemnation, you will do anything and everything you can to help your friends make it to heaven. When you truly understand salvation and condemnation, that's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus died for your sins. And if you embrace Jesus, you get salvation. You get to spend an eternity with God in heaven. That's the good news. But it's good news because the flip side of the coin, there's bad news. And the bad news is this. For anyone who chooses not to accept Jesus, uh, there's another place you get to live in for eternity. And the minute you get that, The minute you truly understand both the good news and the bad news of the gospel, the salvation message and the condemnation message, you will do whatever you have to do, throw a party, tap dance, do whatever you got to do to get your friends to come to Jesus and be in heaven. It's called witnessing. It's somebody like, oh, no, no, I don't do that, that witnessing thing. It makes me nervous. Here, we'll make a deal. I'll bring him to church. You tell them about Jesus. That's about all I can do. But there's no way I can kind of do it on my own. Let me explain it this way. We're talking about food. Let me kind of try and redeem myself just a little bit. And let me, this is my favorite candy bar. Twix bar. You guys like the Twix bar? This is why I like the Twix bar. One, 
it's it's got a it's got a it's it's a cookie base, a nice crunchy cookie base. My favorite layer, though, of the Twix bar is the second layer. What's the second layer? Caramel. I see there's some Twix lovers out there. You know, I, I'll, I'll throw all kinds of stuff on my ice cream, but my favorite ice cream is French vanilla with caramel on it. And when I say caramel, I don't mean one scoop. I mean like four scoops. I love me some caramel, right? So you've got the cookie base, you've got caramel, and then it's, of course, covered in chocolate. Now, one of the things I like about Twix is that there's two of them in here. So I feel like I'm getting extra, you know, and I just got to tell you, it feels wonderful when it goes in my mouth and goes down into my gut. It just how many of you, I'm just curious by show of hands. How many of you like Twix bars? Go ahead. A lot of Twix lovers, right? Uh, you know, again, I feel horrible about how I started by grossing you out. So I, I would like to give some Twix bars away. Would anyone like a Twix bar? No, you got to sh- Oh, someone stood up. You see, that's right there. Give it to... No, the guy who stood up is get it over there. Yeah. No one wants it. You, you got to make some noise. You got to make some noise. Ah, no. Ah, no. Ah, Woodson. Woodson. Molina. There we go. Ah, give it to the kid. He stood up. Oh, he jumped up. No, you're sitting down. No, you're not getting it if you sit down. Someone want... Oh, oh. Oh, no. You... Ah, for, uh, Patty. Patty. George, give it to Patty. Hey, yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 I meant it for this guy. Anyone else? Any? Okay, let's get a cheap seat. Somewhere there. Oh, yeah, Niles. Okay, wasn't that excited? I tell you, you shouldn't miss church. Now, let me explain to you what I'm doing. By the way, the first service crowd on the way out, half the people are like, I didn't get a Twix bar. <laughs> so if you say that on the way out, I will kick you in the throat. I'm just telling you this. Can I tell you what witnessing is? It's doing with Jesus what I did with the Twix bar. Let me help you understand what witnessing. Don't overcomplicate it. Here's what you do. What did I start out with the Twix bar? I told you why I like the Twix bar. And I told you about the cookie. And I told you about the caramel. And I told you about the chocolate. The first thing you do with people is you tell them why you like Jesus. You tell them why Jesus tastes good to you. You tell them how Jesus makes you feel good on the inside when you do some of the things he suggests you do. Jesus is like a Twix bar to me. If you don't say it like you mean it, they're not going to believe you. Then, depending on their reaction, right? If they start getting excited, you could be like, well, do you want a Twix bar? Do you want Jesus? And if they go... Yeah, well, then you start chucking Twix bars at them. Basically, you give them Jesus. That's all witnessing is. Just tell them that Jesus made a difference in your life and ask them, do you want him? You know, there's a lot more at stake than a couple of you getting a Twix bar. There's a whole bunch at stake. One of the things, just like Levi, when you truly understand salvation and condemnation, you'll do whatever it takes whatever it takes. Verse 30 goes on and the story says this. Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to the sect complained to the disciples and they asked this question. Why do you eat? Why do you drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, one of the things I need, I want you, I highlighted Pharisees and teachers. These are two important groups of people in the Jewish society. They 
are the individuals who prescribe or help individuals determine what is true holiness. So if you want to be holy or right with God, you come to the teachers of the law. You come to the Pharisees. And what they're going to do is they're going to give you a list. And they're going to go, okay, on this side is all the things you should be doing. And on that side is all the things you shouldn't be doing. If you do any of the things that you shouldn't be doing, you will be considered to be unclean. And if you're unclean, God's not happy with you. Right. And they will lay it on thick. So if you want to be clean and right with God, you're going to follow the brochure. So they're going to say things like, you know, there, there's certain there's certain places you cannot go. And if you go, you're unclean and God's not going to be happy. There's certain foods you cannot eat. And if you eat those foods, you're unclean and God's not going to be happy. Uh, there's certain there's certain things you, you cannot do on the Sabbath. And if you do them on the Sabbath, you're unclean and God's not going to be happy. And then they would add. There's certain people you can't hang out with. And if you do, you're unclean and God's not going to be happy. That's why they asked that question. But what's with you guys? I, th- I thought you guys were into God. You do realize by hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners, you're unclean. You realize that, right? Why do you do that? He, I, I, I'm going to go on a tangent and I'm going to hope that you guys don't misunderstand where I'm going or many of you uh, take what I'm going to say too far. But here's the question I want us to wrestle with for four or five minutes. It's this one right here. Are we allowed to hang with sinners? Now, think about it for a second and don't answer too quick. Are we allowed to spend time with people that are sinners? And I put it, uh, the hang is, is basically be with them. Now, I've given you on the study guide, you have it on the backside, three references and I haven't given you a place to write answers, but there's two answers. One answer is no, you probably shouldn't. And the second answer is yes, but with conditions. So I'm going to try and explain it real quick. Let's put the first passage up there. First Corinthians chapter five. Paul says, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. You know, those sinners, right? I, I told you not to hang out with them. But then he goes, I was not talking about unbelievers, unsaved people, not church people, people who aren't here this morning. I wasn't talking about them who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You'd have to leave this world to avoid people like them. And so he's making this point. Listen, there are people that don't know Christ. There are people who don't believe in God. There are people who could care less about church and they're sinning. They're sinning. And some of them are really good at it. Why do you expect anything different? When they use the, the Lord's name in vain, why does that surprise you? When they drop an F-bomb, when they, why does that surprise you? When they sleep around, why does that surprise you? When they cheat people, why does that surprise you? They have not given their lives to Christ. I'm not talking about them, he says. Now watch what he adds. Let's put verse 11 up there. I meant... You are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, claims to be a Christian, and yet they indulge in sexual sin, or they're greedy, or worship idols, or they're abusive, or they're a drunkard, or cheat people. Don't even eat with such people. It is my responsibility to, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge, and by judge, that word there means to evaluate. And, and, and if you evaluate someone else's life, a believer, a Christian, 
you are tend to confront them, not just to point it out to them, but to try and help them change. It is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are saved. So here's what he's saying. Are you allowed to hang, hang out with sinners? He goes, uh, well, I'm not talking about unbelievers. I'm not talking about non-church people. I'm talking about sinners that go to church, sinners who claim to be Christians, sinners who are believers. Now, I'm don't go crazy on me. Again, we all have sin. When I say sinners, I mean people who repeatedly sin, continuously sin, could care less about their sin and aren't trying to change their sin. See what I'm talking about here? By the way, do you know that this group of people are the number one reason why people outside of the church don't want to come to church? You realize that, right? Because they have friends that they work with, go to school with, are family members to or related to, and they call themselves Christians. And yet they're sleeping around just like everyone else. They got a filthy mouth just like everyone else. They cheat their employer just like everyone else. And the person instinctively goes, if that's what it means to be a Christian, why would I be one? Why would I be one? You see, Paul makes this huge deal. He goes, you know what? Here's what happens. If you call yourself a Christian and you aren't trying to fight against sin, if you aren't trying to make some changes, you're actually making it worse for everyone here and everyone out there. And Paul goes, you know, uh, you maybe shouldn't hang out with them because by you hanging out with them, you may be suggesting to them whether you mean to or not that their behavior is acceptable. You see what he's saying? So the answer, can I hang with sinners? And Paul would say, well, if they profess to be Christians and they're sinning and could care less, you probably shouldn't because they're just playing games. But then the second answer, yes, with conditions. Let's put the next verses up here. I know I got a lot of colors. I'll explain it here in a second. First Peter chapter two. I urge you abstain from sinful desires. Now watch live such good lives among the pagans, among unsaved unchristians, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Are you allowed to hang out with uh, with sinners? Not only if they're unsaved, not only are you allowed to, you are encouraged to encouraged to one of the biggest mistakes that we make in church is the only real friends we have are sitting around us. One of the best things you could do is, you know, that jerk you work with or that co-worker, or that, that, that neighbor that's difficult or that classmate that you the best thing you could do is insert their, yourself into their life and be their friend. And I know they're unsaved and I know they live horrible lives or do adorable things. But if you live for Jesus, they should be able to see a difference in you and you are actually helping them get closer to Christ. Not only should you or are you allowed to hang out with Uh, sinners you are encouraged to encouraged to do that with one condition one condition you see the first green abstain from simple desires in other words you got to live a good life here's a verse that every parent should have used at some point in time with their kid first corinthians 15 33 don't be misled bad company corrupts good character so you've got a sinner and you've got a christian and, and, and they just heard in church, not, not only am I allowed to hang out with unsaved sinners, but I'm encouraged to with one condition. And here's the condition. Who's rubbing off on who? Who's influencing who? If as a Christian, 
I'm able to go into a situation that's not good, but I have a strong center. I am still true to who Christ is in me. And I am influencing them. Then that's good. But if I do not have a strong center and I kind of wobble back and forth every once in a while. And actually what's happening is by me spending time with them, I'm actually starting to do some of the things they do. Do you see what I'm saying? Then Paul would go, no, don't do that. Don't do that. So I know I've gone on a tangent here, but it's because the Pharisees asked that question. Why are you hanging out with sinners? Why are you doing that? Well, it depends what kind of sinner they are. And it depends who you are as an individual and where you are at in your faith. Last two verses, verse 31. Here's what it says. Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I don't make a big deal about it, but I'm a doctor. Did you guys know that? June of of 2008, uh, I became a doctor, but not this kind of doctor. This was given to me by a friend. I graduated from Fuller Seminary. I got a doctor in ministry. So he gave me this to be funny. Right. I take it home. You know, I put it on. Julie and I listen to the dog's heartbeat. You know, you know, I, I just walk around the house trying to impress Sandy. You know, when's been your last physical? And she's like, back off, you know, and, you know, so I wear this around the house trying to be cool. But I'm not this I'm, I'm not this kind of doctor. You know, I, I can't I, I can't perform surgery on you. If you mess up your ACL, I can't remove your appendix. You don't want me doing Elasix on you. You know, I'm actually good at LASIKs, but about 50%. So one eye would be good, one eye jacked up. I'm not this kind of doctor. Jesus uses this idea of someone needing a doctor. And he makes a very simple point. Uh, If you're sick, you need a doctor. But here's the biggest misunderstanding of this story. You ready? Here's the biggest misunderstanding. Jesus, why are you hanging out with, you know, the prostitutes and the drug users and the criminal folk? Because they're sick. Implication, the Pharisees, they're fine. They're healthy. I don't hang out with you because you're healthy. That's not what this is teaching. The reason Jesus didn't hang out with them is they wouldn't admit that they're sick. You see, here's the thing. Write this down. One of the things you got to understand, Jesus teaching, is every one of us is in need of a spiritual doctor because we're all sick and we're all unhealthy. Some of us are a little less sick than the person next than someone else. But every single one of us is unhealthy. Every single one of us is sick. I need you to turn to the person next to you and with an attitude, say to them, you're sick. Go ahead. Do that real quick. Go ahead and do that. Look them in the eye. OK, some of you are enjoying that too much. Some of you are explaining to them why you think they're sick. Let's stop this. Not a good exercise. You're sick. You are spiritually sick and you need a doctor and his name is Jesus. And I got to tell you, he's quite a doctor. He diagnoses the problem. He heals your sickness and then he pays for the bill. It doesn't get any better. And let me wrap the whole thing up. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. But in verse 32, here's what we read. I have not come to call the righteous, says Jesus, but sinners to repentance. And, and, and here's the point I want to make. Jesus didn't uh, came to do heart transplants, not cosmetic surgery. You go, what, do you, what does that mean? Well, that's why I have the second thing. Focus on inward righteousness, not outward perception. Too many of us are too concerned about what I think of you or the person next to you thinks of you. Don't be so concerned about what other people see on the outside. 
be concerned about what's on the inside. Be concerned about soul and heart, spiritual transformation. And the outward will take care of itself. It'll take care of yourself. I'm going to end with two questions. Question number one. Have you had a spiritual heart transplant? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior and Lord? If you've not done that, Jesus has two words for you this morning. Follow me. Follow me. I know many of you personally. I know you've already made that decision. Second question. If Jesus were to show up this morning and give you a spiritual physical, what would he say you need to work on? Let's close in prayer. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want you to think about those two questions. Do I need a heart transplant? If Jesus were to give me a physical, what do I need to change spiritually? Take a moment and think about that. If you're here today and you, you like Levi, have never embraced Jesus Christ, but you want to, and you've heard the words of Christ to follow him, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer in your heart to God. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I don't have all my questions answered, but I know enough to know I'm a sinner. I'm spiritually unhealthy, and I've never given my life to you. But this morning, I hear Jesus calling me to follow him. And so as best as I know how I put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ, I believe that he died for me on the cross and he rose from the dead, proving he was God. And I do not have a perfect present, but I am trusting you to transform me, to redeem me, to make me a better me for your sake. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for everybody that prayed that prayer this morning. Remind them that though they don't understand everything, maybe they don't even feel completely different right now, that God's word says that they are fundamentally different. They have received a heart transplant and are literally, from a spiritual standpoint, born again and born anew. Father, for those of us who prayed that prayer and had a heart transplant years ago, we nevertheless also have some matters and issues in our life that are unhealthy. Remind us that we are to be constantly examining ourselves and thinking through what to change in order to prove, in order to live according to who you want us to be. Father, we thank you for the great physician, Jesus. We thank you for the story of Levi reminding us how much you care for us. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.